Amen. 2 Timothy chapter 2, uh, verse 15 is where we're going to start today. We're, we're starting, we finished up our series last week uh, that we, was on love God, love people, and, and uh, the greatest commandment. Uh, today we're going to start just a little three-part series uh, called Paying the Price. And we're going to be talking about that today. And, and while you're turning to 2 Timothy 2.15, 2, let, let me just say, I believe, I believe with all my heart that God is about to do something amazing in this church and he wants to do something amazing in this city. But, but here, here's what I know. I'm convinced of this. If we want to be a part of what God is about to do, then we must be willing to pay the price. And whatever that may be, if we want to be used of God, we must be willing to sacrifice. We must be willing to give of ourselves to get our hearts to the place where we can be an effective tool in the hands of an almighty God. There is a price to pay if we want to see people get saved in, uh, in this church. There's a price to pay if we want to grow in our walk with Jesus. There's a price to pay if we want to become the people of God that, that God wants us to be. So we're going to be talking about that for the next couple of weeks. And today... We're talking about the, the price of preparation, the price of preparation. Second Timothy chapter three, verse 15 says this, do your best to present yourself to God as one approved, a worker who has no need to be ashamed, rightly handling the word of truth. There are other versions that, have, that say that differently. It says study to show yourself approved, that you may be useful to God, preaching and teaching, dividing the word of God in such a way that, that it will be used honestly into the glory of God. Study is about preparation, isn't it? It's about being prepared. Now, turn, if you will, to 1 Timothy. I'm going to read another passage. 1 Timothy chapter 4. We're going to read verses 4 through 16. Or excuse me, 6 through 16. It says this. If you put these things before the brothers, you will be a good servant of Christ Jesus, being trained in the words of the, of the faith and of the good doctrine that you have followed. Have nothing to do with irreverent, silly myths. Rather, train yourself for godliness. That's a very interesting phrase right there. Train yourself for godliness. I'm, going to, I'm not going to talk about it today, but that, that phrase, train yourself uh, for godliness. Train comes from a word that, that, that we get our word gymnasium from, and it really literally means to sweat, to work to a point where you work up a sweat. It's a very interesting phrase. Rather, train yourself for godliness. Verse 8. For while bodily training is of some value, godliness is of value in every way, as it holds promise for the present life and also for the life to come. The saying is trustworthy and deserving of full acceptance. For to this end we toil and strive, because we have our hope set on the living God, who is the Savior of all people, especially of those who believe. Command and teach these things. Let no one despise you for your youth, but set the believer's uh, uh, an example in speech, in conduct, in love, in faith, in purity. Until I come, devote yourself to the public reading of Scripture, to exhortation, to teaching. Do not neglect the gift you have, which was given you by prophecy when the council of elders laid their hands on you. Practice these things. Immerse yourself in them, so that all may see your progress. Keep a close watch on yourself and on the teaching. Persist in this, for by so doing you will save both yourself and your hearers. Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, we need your help this morning. I, I believe, Lord God, that there is a word that you long for us to hear, but we can only hear it, Lord God, if you help us. We can't hear it on our, in our own strength. We need your help, Holy Spirit, to come and do a work inside of our hearts. Anoint our ears to hear your word. Touch our hearts and make us ready to receive your, your word with gladness. 
Speak to us today, God, deep in our, in our inner, inner man, Lord God, past the level of intellect, past the level of our emotions. Speak to us deep within. And I pray, God, that you would make the word come alive in us, Lord Jesus, and, and that we will be more than just hearers of your word, but that we will become doers of your word by the power of your Holy Spirit. And I believe you for this, and we thank you for what you're going to do. In the strong name of Jesus, I pray. Amen. Well, brothers and sisters, I believe we, we live in a world where I believe we have forgotten one of the most, one of the major uh, basic fundamental principles of life. And that fundamental principle of life is this. Everything costs something. I'm going to say that again. Everything costs something. I'm convinced that this is disappearing from the mentality of the of American life and culture. But but this truth applies to every area of life. Paying the the price has gone completely out of fashion in America. American life and and culture. What we want in America is something for nothing. Uh, you, you hear it in the way our politicians run for office. You know, very few politicians have the nerve to actually stand up in, in front of people and say, "This is what it's going to cost you." You know, this is what we're going to do, and this is what, what it's going to cost you in the end. Uh, instead, they, they promise every cockamamie thing in the world and say that it's not going to cost you anything. You can have it all free, you know. And so there, there's this culture in, in America, oh, there's, you, you want universal health care. Well, where are we going to get the money? Well, it will just appear out of thin air. You know, if you believe that, I've got some, some swamp land in the Sahara Desert I want to sell you. Uh, but, but, but the truth is, everything costs something. Do you think for one moment that we're going to be able to, to provide health care for every member of the society from cradle to grave and it's not going to cost you anything? It's going to cost you plenty. So pay attention. In all the walks of life, everything costs something. Well, you say, well, what about my salvation? My salvation was free. No, it wasn't. It didn't cost you anything. But it bankrupted heaven. It, was, it, wasn't, it didn't cost you anything, but it cost the blood of the Lamb. It cost the, the death of the Lord Jesus Christ on the, on the cross. You see, see, we have lost our understanding and concept of paying the price for those things that are important. So, and not separated from this is our failure to, to pay the price of separate, uh, preparation. You know, many years ago, a, a workshop was held for young people who were interested in the theater. They were actors and actresses and dancers and directors and you know uh, screenwriters and playwrights all these kind of people like that were in attendance and they had a panel of people famous directors and actors and actresses in different disciplines of theater and the cinema and, and the, really the the main part the the centerpiece of that panel was a, a young actor who uh, way back in those days this is back in the 60s he he had just burst full flame onto the american cinematic scene and you know his name. His name is Dustin Hoffman. And Dustin Hoffman had just been nominated for an Academy Award for his, the leading role in The Graduate. And he was sitting there on that panel and these young aspiring actors were all excited to see him. They all wanted to hear what he had to say to them. And at one point in time, after they all spoke, they opened up the floor and allowed people in the audience to ask uh, the panel questions from the floor 
And there's one young student stood up and he said, I have a question for Dustin Hoffman. And of course, they all had questions for Dustin Hoffman. Nobody really wanted to talk to the rest of the people. They, all, they, they just sat back and relaxed. But he said, I have a question for Dustin Hoffman. He said, what does it feel like to be an overnight success? Well, Dustin Hoffman jumped up from that table where he was seated and so violently that he knocked the chair over that he was sitting in and he charged out from around the table and he grabbed the microphone and he said, don't even say that to me. He, he said, don't even say that in my presence. He said, do, do you want to understand what an overnight success is? He said, drop out of college with your mom and dad weeping and crying and go to New York City and work three jobs every week so you can pay your way through acting school and then get jobs for five years doing nothing but dog food commercials, then work off Broadway and travel in the Catskills, take every kind of acting job you can for 10 years, and finally when you're in your 30s, you get a part playing a college boy you finally get a break after 15 hard years of discipline and sacrifice and then some punk college kid stands up and says what does it feel like to be an overnight success well you could hear a pin drop in that room and every young person in that audience was thinking the same thing they were saying thank you god that i didn't ask that question <laughs> that's all they were thinking a young man just slumped down in his chair but you know the thing is that something for nothing spirit prevails in every discipline of life in our culture. There are business people that want to be an overnight success. Religious leaders that want to be an overnight success. They just sort of want to spring full grown from the forehead of Zeus or something. I don't know. But the, but the lives of the great saints in Scripture and throughout history. Oh, now, I understand there may be an atypical fluke on the stage of human history from time to time. But in, in the really great lives in Scripture and in the various disciplines of life throughout history, these men were shaped and molded at tremendous price, at huge sacrifice. The great saints of the Bible and of history had years and years and years of silent preparation before they were ever heard from. Paul the Apostle, he writes to the church at Galatia and he says, you want to know how I became an overnight success? He says, after I received the Lord Jesus Christ as my Savior on the road to Damascus, I went to Saudi Arabia and he said, I hardly ever spoke to anyone for three years while I waited on God and I meditated and I prayed and I allowed the Lord to give me faith and revelation. He said, you, you know how I became an overnight success? I came back to Jerusalem where the apostles wouldn't even talk to me at first. He said, you know, you want to know how I became an overnight success? I went to my father's house where I worked for years waiting for my first chance in ministry only to become an assistant to another man on a missionary journey knowing all along that I had been called by God to be an apostle to the Gentiles. But it was in those silent years in Arabia where Paul the apostle was shaped inwardly and outwardly into an image that would be usable by God. John and Charles Wesley suffered through years of discipline and sacrifice, preparation, study. Oh, it, it, you know, it's a wonderful thing when someone without preparation and discipline and study just explodes on the scene by God's grace at the moment of salvation. That's fine. But, you know, far richer 
and far more profound, far, far more useful to God is that sacrificial labor of life and love that has gone on for years, which has honed and wedded the intellect, a mind, a spirit, a creativity to the razor's edge until that moment when the anointing of God comes and he's ready to be useful. John the Baptist, he had a brief ministry of explosive and controversial power that ended in his horrible decapitation, death by execution, got his head cut off. John the Baptist had a brief moment of ministry that was a result of more than 30 years of preparation. Then, of course, there was the Lord Jesus Christ himself. himself. You know, he, he never preached a single sermon until he was 30 years old. For 30 years, he prepared for a world-shaking, eternity-shaping ministry for 30 years. How? By submitting himself to the authority of his family and by working in his father's carpentry shop. For 30 years, he paid the price of preparation. You say, boy, what an overnight success. He just walked up out of the waters of baptism and began to defeat the devil and cast out demons and heal the blind and raise the dead. A three-year ministry of infinite glory. But I want you to think about this. Maybe you've never done the math on this, but I want you to think about this. Jesus spent... Ten times as much time on preparation as he did in his ministry. You know, we become consumer-oriented instead of production-oriented. And we become image-conscious instead of reality-aware. And it is destroying the heart and soul and fabric of American life. We are more interested in what we can have than what we can do. And we're more interested in what, what it will look like rather than whether or not it will actually work. It's true in American churches. It's true in Sunday school classes. It's true in pulpits. It's true in businesses. It's true in our government. It's true in our schools. But the question is, how did we get where we are? And the answer is, it's because somehow or another, we lost the great American virtue of being willing to pay the price of preparation. Why is that? Well, one reason that we have lost that willingness is that the pain of preparation is delay. Delay. We don't like delay. Not in America. We don't like delay. Hope deferred makes the heart sick. We want our cake and we want it yesterday. We want the reward without the wait. We, we want to drop a quarter in and have the candy drop out of the candy machine at the bottom in an instant, right in that moment. We don't want to wait. I, I heard a man tell a story about a time when he was coming out of a restaurant and as he came out of this restaurant in this smaller kind of enclosed area, there was a man outside there that was just absolutely kicking the stuffing out of this Coke machine. I mean, he was just cursing it and kicking it and punching it with his fist. I mean, he was just, just completely taken by rage, explosive rage. And here's this man coming out of the restaurant and he's trying to be, you know, just sort of just you know, silently and gingerly sneak past this man in this enclosed area. And, and all of a sudden, the angry man suddenly just spun around and clenched his fist. And he said, 75 cents. That's what he did. He screamed it, 75 cents. And the man coming out of the restaurant said, uh, uh, I don't have anything to do with that company, <laughs> you know. And, and, and man, when he told the story, he said, God is his witness. He said, right at that moment, after all of that, that can of Coke dropped plunk right down into the, the dispenser and he got it. And all that kicking, all that screaming and punching and cussing, if he had just 
waited a moment, he would have saved himself all of that energy. You know what? He seems to, to me to be symptomatic of what's going on in our society. If something that we want to happen doesn't happen immediately, if not sooner, then we go crazy, don't we? I mean, if we sit down in a restaurant and the waiter hasn't taken an order within four minutes, we're like, well, they lost their tip. He better hurry. My, my Diet Coke's getting close to the bottom. I want to refill. You know, we, what's wrong? You know, I'm the only, I must, I'm obviously the only uh, person eating here. They can't be dealing with anybody else. But, you know, or like if you go to the drive-thru. Oh, my goodness, the drive-thru. We have, if we have to wait on our, our food at the drive-thru window for more than two minutes, the steam just starts coming out of our ears. You know? I mean, two minutes. It's like... You know how long it's been? Yeah, two minutes. It's just been two minutes. You know, nobody's willing to wait. Nobody's willing to work for anything, to discipline themselves, to sacrifice, because the delay that comes in the time of preparation is perceived as painful to us. You know, so, so many people want the title, but not the job. They want the perks, but not the responsibility. They want the position, but, but, but they don't want the work. I've known of young ministers and, uh, that, that, you know, right out of Bible college. Some of them, I've known one guy, wasn't, hadn't even gone to Bible college, but he was working as a, as a youth pastor in a church, and, and he was not satisfied because he felt like this is a church of, you know, multiple thousands. And he, and he was upset because he felt like the pastor of that church wasn't willing to hand the reins over to him right at that moment. I was like, dude, I wouldn't do it. <laughs> I had a church of 30, I wouldn't give it to you right now, you know. But, but, but I've known young ministers that come right out of Bible college and they want to pastor a great big church right off the bat. They don't, they don't want to go to some small church in some small community. They want to be on the big stage. They want to be in the limelight. You know, and when I meet those kind of young, uh, young men or women in the, that are going into ministry, I, I always want to say, son, I, I love you and I don't want to hurt your feelings. But if that's the greatest dream you've got, then I encourage you to get a job and stay out of the ministry we don't need you well you say well don't you have a vision of pastoring a great big church no i have a vision of serving god i have a vision of preaching the word i have a vision of reaching the lost i have a vision of washing feet i have a vision of making disciples i want to be the man of god that i can be anywhere that god puts me anytime that, that, that god wants me to be any place where god asks me to serve that's what i want to be that's what i want to do it's not about the, the image and the big church and the numbers and all the, those things those are great if god gives them but it's more about me just saying i want to do the best i can with whatever god God has given me to do wherever he tells me to do it. The willingness to sacrifice, to wait, to endure the pain of delay when there is no immediate reward. Listen, it is one of the greatest instruments God uses to shape us for the moment when God will use us mightily. You you know, um, I don't know if you've ever been on a sports team as a kid or maybe you coached one, but there are some kids on sports teams that, uh, that they just follow their coach around all the time on the sidelines and just beg to be put in the game. Put me in the game, coach, put me in. Then there are other kids that just work hard and learn the plays so that when the coach calls them, they'll be ready to play. 
You know, and that's exactly the way I believe we ought to be in the kingdom of God. Don't go around screaming, uh, 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 screaming to let me go in the game. Learn the plays. Get prepared. Don't, don't scream to be in the ministry, line, ministry limelight. Learn to serve in the shadows. Endure the pain and the sacrifice and the delay. You know, I would rather spend four years as a second string also ran and have one season of respectable God-empowered uh, success than to be a starburst in my freshman year and have the coach take the, the next three years trying to figure out why in the world he started me that first year. When we don't endure the pain of delay and preparation, then we're not ready when God does call. And I want to be ready when my moment of opportunity comes. I want to be ready when God says, now. I want to be ready when the door finally opens. I want to be ready when the Holy Spirit whispers, this is it. This is it. And I heard a high school coach talk about his team. And on this team, he was three deep at the tackle position. And if you're not a football fan, you don't know what that position is. But as an offensive lineman, they're always great big guys. But, but he was three deep at that position. He had a really, really good tackle. And he had, he had a boy that was, that was good, but he was too overweight to really play the entire game. And then he had, a, he had another boy, the third stringer, that was just, well, let's, I won't say he was bad, but let's just say he loved his mama and he worked really hard, you know. And he did everything the coach asked of him. It, but, you know, neither the second string nor the third string players ever, ever got in the game unless their team was like 100 points ahead or 100 points behind. They just didn't get in the game. But one game, on the very second play of the game, the, that first string tackle sprained his elbow and he was out for the rest of the game. So the coach turned around and, and looked at the second string tackle and this big old fellow sitting there on the bench and he said, all right, get in there. You've got to go in right now. And he said, oh, coach, I don't have my shoes on. Call a timeout. And the coach said, no, just sit there. Johnny, go in. And that little third stringer said, yeah. And he just jammed that helmet on and ran out there like he had some sense or something. And he played his little heart out. And after the game, that second string player came out 300 pounds as a junior in high school. Big old boy. And he went to the coach and he said, well, coach, I thought I was a second string tackle. How come you sent Johnny in there? I, I could pick up Johnny and throw him halfway across the field. And the coach said, yeah, but Johnny had his shoes on. Johnny was ready. And I believe, I really believe that there are all kinds of people in the kingdom of God that are sitting on the bench with their shoes off. Waiting for that one great blinding moment of glory. And they're not willing to endure the pain of preparation that they might be found useful. Scripture says, study to show yourself approved to be useful Sunday school teachers, uh, prepare yourself, prepare your soul, prepare your life. I, I call on every ministry leader at Restoration Life Church before God and His angels and the entire membership, prepare yourself, discipline yourself, study the Word of God, meditate on the passage, prepare yourself. And you say, well, I only have four little girls in the fourth grade. My dear friend, I want you to understand this. There are no big ministries and no little ministries. There are no glorious ministries and, and, and no inglorious ministries. There are only those who obey God and those who do not. Prepare yourself. I call on all the membership of this great church to endure the pain of preparation of a devotional life. Have you grown weary in your prayer life? 
And I speak to you. You know, prayer is so contrary to the modern American culture because there is often no immediate return on the investment. See, and that goes against our culture because in America, we, if we do something, we want results right now. It's like, I mean, have you seen, it was a while back, there was that commercial about there's some great big guy and, and he was, uh, was going to lose some weight and he got on the treadmill for like five seconds and then he got off and ran and to, to weigh himself. We want immediate results. And sometimes when it comes to prayer, it, it's so hard for us as Americans because it's so contrary to our culture because often there is no immediate return on that investment. You, you can't see anything. You, you see, if I, could, if I could come in here every Sunday and, I, and just pray and say, Oh God, put a million dollars on this table. And then I open my eyes and there's a million dollars there. I mean, you know, how many of you know we'd have a lot of people down here praying right then? That's for sure. We'd have, we would not have to worry about whether people showed up for our prayer meetings. You know, it's like, uh, Pastor Dave, could you pray? I'm not greedy, just a half a million. That's, that'd be good with me. That's all I need. I wouldn't have to preach motivational sermons on prayer at all. But the pain of prayer is that you often don't see anything right away. In fact, sometimes, going to tell you this, sometimes when you're praying for somebody, say you have somebody you love that's not saved and you begin praying for them, sometimes at first it seems to get even worse. You ever seen that? I, I believe that. You know, I believe what happens is the Holy Spirit starts dealing with them and and nobody likes the conviction of sin in their lives, and so they just get grumpy. So when they get grumpy, just start praying and saying, thank you, God, I, think, I believe that's you. I believe that's you. <laughs> so <laughs> that'll really freak them out, you know. They come in, they're all grumpy. Oh, you're in bad mood? Praise the Lord. <laughs> Praise the Lord. That'll really freak them out. But, you know, uh, uh, you often don't say anything right away. But, and this is going to be hard to say and hard to listen to. Listen, I believe in miracles I believe in signs and wonders. I believe in, in immediate healings. I believe it. I have prayed and seen them. I have experienced them. But listen to me. Miracles are not the stuff of which sturdy saints, sturdy, sturdy saints that's easy for me to say, sturdy saints are really made. Sturdy, hardy saints of God that can endure until the end are those that know how to catch hold of the horns of the altar and pray when there is no miracle, when you, when you can't see an immediate answer. You want to talk about real faith? People talk about faith and having faith in prayer. Real faith is praying over and over and over and over and over again and having the kind of faith that won't quit, that won't give up, that will keep on praying even though we haven't seen the answer yet. Anybody can be a Christian when you've got a miracle in the palm of your hand. To be prepared as a saint of God and to be a sturdy saint of God requires a huge level of, of preparation. And there is a price of preparation. So I call on you to prepare yourself with the word of God. I speak to the constituency of Restoration Life Church. I call on you, everyone in this room, get back into your Bible. And I know you say, well, I've been in my Bible. Dig in even deeper. Not just a verse of scripture before you go to bed at night when you're so tired you can't even see straight. Study, pray, discipline yourself. I call on you in the name of Jesus to get your heart ready for what God is about to do in this church, what God is about to do in this city, what God is about to do in this county. Get yourself ready. You know, some people struggle with this. They, they struggle with the mundane activities of daily activities and preparation. Uh, you know, I, I, the, way, the way I want to explain it is like this. 
I, I have always loved, baseball was always my first sport, first love. I loved it, still love it. I love watching it more than football even. I love baseball. And, and then I got a little bit older and couldn't play baseball, so they only had softball for uh, older men. Now I'm to a point where I can't play at all because I can swing a bat and I can throw a ball, but if there's running involved, forget it. Forget it. It's just not happening. By the way, I'm an avid non-runner. just want you to know that. If you ever see me running, call 911 because something is chasing me. I'm telling you right now. But, uh, but I've always loved uh, playing ball. I love playing softball. And, and, I, and there was a time when I was in Twin Falls when we had a church softball team and a lot of the older guys had kind of quit. And so I had a, a team full. I was like one of the older guys. I was the youth pastor. I was like one of the older guys on the team. And, and a bunch of young kids that didn't know how to play. They'd never really played before. Uh, but but, uh, but uh, what I learned was over the years and over that time was that there are some people who want to play the game, but they don't want to practice. You know, I, I, now I was different. I always loved going to practice. I was just that kind of guy. I mean, I, I'd almost rather go to practice than to play in the game because I can stay out there and I can work on things. But, but I realized at the same time there's something boring about a practice schedule. It doesn't carry the same excitement as, as a real game. And when you treat it, try to teach a young ball player about proper positioning on the field and, and where they're supposed to go when the ball is hit here and what, what they do, what their responsibilities are in their position, the right way to play the game. And you keep going over all those fundament, fundamentals. And, and then he says, I don't like this at all. When are we going to put on our uniforms and actually play a game? You know what? I, you can write it down in that moment. That kid will never re- be a, a really good ball player. I'd rather have the kid out there that will throw the ball until his arm falls off. I'd, I'd rather have the kid out there that's going to take ground ball after ground ball after ground ball after ground ball until he's not afraid of the ball hitting him anymore. Because when I send him out on the field, I know he's going to be prepared because he paid the price of preparation. And you know, I, I sense in my spirit that the Lord may be weary of showmen in the kingdom who have never endured the pain of long, silent years of preparation uh, that, that made them ready to play when God called their number. I, I believe the Lord wants sturdy saints. Sturdy, here I go again. I can't say that today. Sturdy saints. I believe the Lord wants people of depth, content, and discipline. And I call on us, all of us. I, I speak to myself in your hearing. Let's get back to prayer. Don't don't wait for a program. Learn to pray. Let's go back to the Word of God, reading, underlining, memorizing it. And finally, you're sitting there asking me, well, this is all well and good, but is there any reward in this? Well, the the reward of, of preparation is blessing. And the first blessing of preparation is the joy of accomplishment. I said this earlier in the sermon, I want to say it again. I believe that American culture has become consumer-oriented instead of production-oriented. So, so now listen to this. If you're consumer-oriented, then you're oriented to having. I want to have a better shirt. I want to have a better car. I want to have a better house. But if you are production-oriented, this is where America used to be, you are oriented to making. I want to make a better shirt. I want to produce a better car. I want to build a better house. And when you have a consumer-oriented society, what ends up happening, and we have seen it happen in our culture, you create consumer-oriented churches. 
I want you to know right up front, I am not interested in that. I'm telling you right now, I'm not interested in pastoring a spectator-filled, consumer-oriented church where people come in and line up at the Holy Spirit water hole every Sunday morning and say, all right, turn it on and entertain me. Count me out of that. What I want to do is be with the saints of God who will say, I'm in transition here. I'm not what I ought to be, but, but I'm willing to learn. I'm willing to sacrifice. I'm willing to partake. I'm willing to suffer the pain. I'm willing to endure the sacrifice. I'm willing to pay the price of preparation. I'm willing to grow. I'm willing to go through some things in the next five years so that if in the sixth year God should decide to send a revival to Marion, then, then Restoration Life Church will be ready and I'll be ready. That's what I want. That's what I want. I want real people. Who are saying, Lord, we don't want to be consumers. We don't want to be takers. We don't want to be spectators. Lord, we want to learn how to produce for your kingdom. We don't want to just hear soul winning stories. We want to be soul winners telling the stories. The second blessing of preparation is the development of character. I believe that, that any good thing in my character, and, and, and God knows there are plenty of things that need to get better, but I believe that any good thing in my character came from waiting and not from receiving. I've learned more, I've grown more, I've prospered spiritually more in my failures than I ever have in my successes. The willingness to endure, to fail, to start over, to experiment, to begin again and again and again and again and again and again. I believe that the great blessing of preparation and more preparation and more preparation is an internal blessing, the blessing of the development of character in our lives. And then finally, the, the third blessing of preparation is the thrill of being used in a timely way in the, in the hand of Almighty God. That's the third thing, is when we are prepared, and then that moment comes, and he says, now. Then we find, it, it's, there's just nothing like that moment when we are used by God, because we're, we've, been, we've prepared ourselves, we're ready, we're, we're ready to get in the game when he says, now. Now, now listen, I'm going I'm to close with this. Within just a few days, a few days before his death, burial, and resurrection, Jesus said to his disciples, he said, it's time for the pa Passover. And they said, oh, okay, what should we do? He said, well, you're going to go into a certain place and you'll find a certain man and, and the preparation for the Passover is all made. He'll take care of everything. Well, you know something? We don't know that man's name. We, we don't know where that room is, despite what the tour guides in Jerusalem will tell you. We have no idea where that room is. We don't know, what, uh, that, we don't know that man's name, but we, also, but we know that communion services have been observed for 2,000 years, and they have been modeled on the preparation made silently while no one watched and no one applauded by an unnamed saint of God who served Jesus. You know, so much of what we do is wood, hay, and stubble. And when Jesus appears, it'll just be burned up, you know, whoosh, it'll be gone. Very little of what we do is priceless gold, silver, and jewels, that which will endure the fire of God and remain very little. I mean, wouldn't you like to just once be used by God in a, 
and an act of preparation to create a ministry that will be memorialized by Christians for 2,000 years. The reward is worth the pain of the price of preparation. That moment when God will say, all right, you, in the game, it's your time. Pay the price of preparation. Get back to prayer. Let's get into the word. There's, there's nothing, listen, I know there's nothing glitzy or glamorous about this message. There's nothing new about it. I, I haven't told you one thing this morning you didn't already know, but I believe that, that you're sensing the voice of God speaking to you at this, at this moment. The Spirit of God is telling us, I want you to be ready. I have something I want to do. Get ready. Get your heart in the right place. Get into the Word. Learn to hear my voice. Learn to obey. Because if you'll be ready, then when I say it's time, then He's going to be able to do something amazing. Listen, God has a work for you to do. And He has a time for you to do it. So be ready when he calls. Amen. Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, as we come to your presence, Lord God, I just, Lord, you, I just believe with my whole heart, God, that you do have a great plan. And there's some things you want to do that, that we can't even begin to imagine. Some things that you want to do in this church, in this city, in this county. Some, some things that you, you want to send a revival like no one has ever seen. And, and God... We want to be part of that, but Lord, we, we know that we can't just sit on the sideline with our shoes off and say, okay, well, when the time comes, then I'll get ready. Lord, I pray you'd help us to draw near to you now, that we draw near to you in your word, we draw near to you in prayer, and in this process of preparation, this day-to-day process of getting into your word and, 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 and reading from the scripture and spending time with you, God, that this day-to-day process, Lord God, would be a process that builds the character in us that will sustain the ministry you have planned for us. God, I pray that in Jesus' name that you would just help us all. Lord God, it's not about just trying to muscle up and saying, okay, I'm going to do this, I'm going to do this, but God, just help us, Lord, learn. Help us to grow. Some of us are more disciplined than others, but God, you can help us, all of us, grow. And Lord, those that are lacking in this area, I pray, God, that you just... Help them to know, God, that you're not angry with them. But, Lord, that you have more. And that there is a deeper relationship with you. If if we'll just be open to it. With heads bowed and eyes closed. You know, listen, I I want you to know that there's... this, this is not about trying to bring condemnation, saying, Oh, you're not reading your Bible. What's wrong with you, you, you heathen kind of thing. This is about helping us to understand God has more. I want this to be a word of encouragement for you to say, okay, wait a minute. If I will do what I need to do to prepare, then God's going to do things in me and through me that I can't see right now. And I want you, I want you to see it that way. I want you to, and, and listen, you, you, some of you are going to make a decision. You're going to say, okay, God, I'm going to get into word. I'm going to pray and and, and, and you might struggle a little bit. Don't, don't get down and give up. Dig back in. Some of you need to set an alarm on your phone. Whatever time of day it works for you. And when that alarm goes off, you say, okay, now I'm taking some time. And, and listen, you don't have to start by taking three, four hours. Just read scripture until something jumps off the page and the Holy Spirit speaks to you and talk to him about that.
Let him know what's going on in your life. Just take a little bit of time and pray with him. But get ready. Get ready for what God wants to do. Amen. Now, if that's your heart and you say, Pastor Dave, I hear what you're saying. If you'd say, if, if just, just by agreeing with me, if you'd say, Pastor Dave, I, I want a covenant with you. That I, I'm going to get into the word more. I'm going to, I'm going to pray more. I want to get ready. I want to be ready for what God wants to do. Not just in the church, but in my life, in my family. And if you hear the voice of God talking to you and you saying, okay, Lord, I, I want to respond to that. Would you just slip your hand up right where you are? All over the room. All over the room. Father, you see every hand. And you see the heart of every person, God. And I believe, Lord Jesus, that it's, it's a, this is not an emotional response, but this is just simply looking at our lives and saying, wait a minute. I'm not satisfied with consuming. I want to be a, a producer. I want to make a difference. I want my life to count. And God, I pray that in the name of Jesus that you would help us all, Lord, that you would, you would remind us every day, and Lord, that you would draw us into your presence and that there would be a richness that we find in your word and a richness in our prayer time with you that we've never had before. Get us ready, Lord God, because I believe that you're going to do something great. And we want to be right in the middle of it. And God, I just pray that you would keep your hand upon your people as we, as we go about our day to day, wherever we go, whether it's to a restaurant or going home. Lord, just let your hand rest upon us. Have your way in our lives. And Lord, I pray that you would make us ready for that moment when you say it's your time. Get in the game. And we ask all of this in the strong name of Jesus. Amen.